God is so good. Help me sense the presence of the Lord in this house. This is such an amazing time of the year, Christmas time. It was this weekend, the weekend after Christmas in 1991, where I gave my life to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So this year I celebrate Jesus. I celebrate his life, all that he's done, the grace and the gift of salvation that he's given me. I mean, I'm telling you, he's given me such an amazing life. And I am so blessed. A wonderful wife, wonderful boys. How many of Jesus is awesome? I've never regretted. So I celebrate him. How many celebrate him? Isn't he awesome? You know, today is also very special for me because after 20, over 20 years of preaching, I have my family here for the very first time. My mom is in the house. My mom, Virginia. Mom, would you stand up? She's seen me on video. My mom, Virginia, she gave birth to me. She literally prayed me into the kingdom. I'm telling you, I was a wild guy. Also, my aunt Anna prayed for me, and my aunt and uncles, my cousins are here. My uncles, Charlie gave me my first Bible on Christmas. He gave me my first Bible. My grandfather is in the house, and my great uncle. I'm so blessed and honored to have my family here. So I gotta, I gotta do a good job. The pressure is on. My favorite cousin, Cookie, is here. But it is really a privilege and a blessing to fill the pulpit for Pastor Jerry. How many know we have an awesome pastor? If you're visiting, you need to come back. He's got to be one of the best ministers and preachers in the country. And I want to share with you, actually, you know what I need to do? And to commemorate this, this moment, I need to take a selfie. So my family's here. And... I, I usually, you know, in the early years, I used to fill the pulpit on the weekends several times a year. But how many know our pastoral team has grown? And so we got some great preachers and teachers. So now the ro rotations increase. So to commemorate this moment and to prove that I was here filling the pulpit, I'm going to take a selfie. All right, I need some love back in this section here, all right? Here we go. All right. Uh, I don't look too good. I'll keep it anyways. You know, uh, as I was preparing this message, I was doing a little bit of research on this selfie cultural phenomena, and I discovered that there are 93 million selfies taken a day. 93 million. Somebody say, wow, that's crazy. Somebody say, that's a lot of selfies. And you ladies, ladies that are 16 to 25, raise your hand, please. You ladies... Studies show that you spend an average of five hours a week taking selfies. That's like 42 minutes a day. I know some of you are shaking your head, but everybody knows when you take a selfie, you got to take several each time because you got to get it just right. I mean, if you got the wrong angle, the nose is all, you know, big and wide. The chin doesn't look good. But you have to take multiple selfies. And, you know, in this culture, of the selfie culture, and I know some of you here today, maybe you're not up to speed of this cultural phenomena, but I thought I'd help you out today, bring you up to speed, and share with you a little bit about the must-have selfie. So I'm going to help you out because I'm here to serve you today. Can I do? I'm here. I really am here to serve. So I'm going to bring you up to speed on some must-have selfies. For the very first selfie you got to have is a pet selfie. That's our pet, Rusty. He's a chihuahua. He's a fat chihuahua. He should be about seven pounds. Weighs about 12 pounds. My wife called me about eight years ago. She rescued him and said, honey, can we, can we just have, let him spend the night, just one night? He needs one night. 
I'm still waiting. Eight years later, I'm still waiting. But you got to have a pet selfie. There he is kissing me because I feed him like crazy. The next must-have selfie you got to have is a duck face selfie. I know. Come on. Come on. Some of you got a duck face on your Facebook profile and on your Instagram. Let me know what I'm talking about. Especially when your hair is on point. You're having a good hair day. You're looking good. You got to have a duck face selfie. The next selfie you must have is wish you were here. Check out my feet selfie. I see a lot of you posting these things. You're on the beach. You got your legs or your feet. How many know what I'm talking about? Turn to somebody and say, I know what you're talking about. Hashtag wish you were here. You're jealous. Check out my feet while I'm on vacation. The next must-have selfie is a hot romantic couple selfie. If you're married, now leave that up there, team, because I need to score some. I need to put some deposits in the blessed marriage account. How many know my wife is awesome? Look at how beautiful. I mean, talk about a beauty, incredible beauty. She makes me look good, huh? My family's been telling me for years I married up big time. You also got to have hanging with your boy selfie. You ladies, you call it your besties. And last but not least, my favorite, you got to have your sexy bathroom shot selfie. How many know what I'm talking about? After you're working out and night of the towel, you get in that bathroom and you got to have that sexy bathroom shot selfie. You know, there's really uh, nothing inherently wrong with taking some fun selfies, but, you know, how many know if we're not careful in getting caught up in this selfie cultural phenomenon that we can get caught up on focusing on self and focusing on our lives and what others think about it? But how many know Jesus called us not to focus on self and promoting self, but to die to self? And not to live for self, but to live for others and to love and to serve others. Can I get an amen? You know, in this day and age, in this season of time, as I pray and seek the Lord, you know, Scripture talks about a lot of characteristics of the end times. And one of the characteristics he talks about is that in the end times, people will be lovers of themselves. And they will turn from God in his ways. It also talks about that darkness will increase and wickedness will increase. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. And I don't know about... I don't know about you, but how many know we don't, you don't have to be a prophet to discern the times that we're living in? But you know what? That's not the narrative that God has called us to focus on. You know what the narrative God's called us to focus on? As he's prophesied through the prophets such as Isaiah, when he says that when darkness increases and when the nations are shaken, let your light arise and shine. Somebody say, let your light arise and shine. This is an hour when our light shall arise and shine. That's the narrative. You and I are called to and focus on let our light arise and shine in this hour, in this season of time. When we see chaos in our nation and nation is rising up against nation, people group is rising up against people group, this is the time for our light to arise and our love to shine. The narrative that the Apostle Paul writes in his epistles in 2 Corinthians says the God of this world system has blinded the minds of the unbelievers unless the light of the gospel should shine upon them. That God has commanded light to shine out of the darkness, and we have this light in earthen vessels. Isn't that awesome? That you and I have this light. The whole world is crying out for light. You and I have this light in earthen vessels. 
Jesus said this. He said, let your light shine before men. How many believe this is an hour that let our light shine before men? One of my favorite passages concerning the end times where it says in the book of Romans that the whole earth is travailing and groaning and awaiting for the revelation of the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That's you and I, mature believers that reflect and reveal the unconditional love and grace of God. Can I get an amen? How many of the whole world is crying out for peace? People around the world, in our nation, around the world are crying out for peace, redemption, and the love of God. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. The world needs us in this hour. Are you with me this morning? Join your hearts with me as I pray for this message I have for you because I really believe it's a prophetic message for the season and time that we're in. I feel the presence of Jesus and the word of the Lord coming to me. So pray with me. Father God, we just bless you. I honor you. We dedicate this service to you. King Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done here this morning. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We reverence you. We ask that you would anoint us. Father, I pray that you would anoint my lips. Let my words be your words. Let your heart flow from my lips this morning. Father, I pray that our spiritual eyes would be open and our spiritual ears would be open. Put your hand on your heart right now. Father, I pray that you would cause our hearts to be good ground and to receive all that you would have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, and everyone agree to that, say amen. So my message this morning is loving like Jesus. What does it mean to love like Jesus? And for you millennials, you can add this to your title, loving like Jesus in a selfie-centered world. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. How many know God was love? He is love. He is the nature of love, his essence. He is perfect love. And how many know that Jesus was the exact representation of Father God? He came to reveal Father God. It says in the book of Colossians, he's the exact representation of his nature. So if we want to know what the love of God looks like, how many know we need to look at Jesus? So Jesus says if we want to love like him, if you want to learn how to love like Jesus, know what it looks like to love like Jesus. My first point to you this morning is loving like Jesus is loving your enemies. Say that with me. Loving like Jesus is loving your enemies. I thought I'd start with the easy points first. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus says, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to, them, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone who takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, Jesus is not advocating that we submit to physical abuse. How many know in many cultures a slap on the face is a form of insult or humiliation? How many of there's some cultures that if they want to insult you, they take off their shoes and throw their shoes at you? How many remember President Bush at that meeting where they're throwing shoes at him? There's many different ways to be mistreated. That word enemies in the original language means people who oppose you, 
or people who try and hurt you, people with harmful intentions. How many have heard that term, haters? You know, in our culture, we use that term, haters. People that speak ill of you or misrepresent you. How many have ever had people tear you down? How many people have felt like you've had some backstabbers in the workplace? Or those that were kind of jealous or throw you under the bus types? How many have had some throw you under the bus types? Slanderers, you know, fault finders, critics, people who use you are ungrateful or unthankful. You know what I've discovered? Those of us that think that are our haters or those that are the ones most hardest love, I have found those are the ones that really are just hurting people. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have ever heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people? And so often those of us that mistreat us or speak ill against us or use us or are jealous to throw us under the bus or fault find, often it's those are the ones that are hurting. And the ones that mistreat you the most and the ones that are the hardest to love are the ones you and I need to love the most. They're the ones that need the love the most. Regardless of their behavior, whether or not they're receiving or accepting or reciprocating, they're the ones that need love the most. You know what I have found? That regardless if they're whether receiving, I'm telling you, eventually the love of God through your will begin to penetrate their heart and to bring in healing. Are you with me this morning? We need to love on them. You know, as I was preparing this message, and by the grace of God, I've not had, you know, what I would consider enemies in my life. I've had different people, you know, competitive and say things and kind of subtly throw me under the bus or whatever. I've never had really any major haters in my life by the grace of God. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for that. But I did have a pretty bad experience a couple years ago, a pretty radical experience of betrayal. I used to, many of you know, I used to work full-time for a ministry called Johnny and Friends. It's a, it's a global international ministry. I was a director of global missions. I held different positions. And at the time, a couple years ago, I had a very ambitious supervisor. You guys know where the story's going, right? She was 28, Cal Poly grad, 4.0 graduate, brilliant Young woman, SAT instructor, uh, a gifted writer, tremendous talent, and I was mentoring her and imparting to her and delegating a lot of things, and she, she did a, a wonderful job. However, she was just uh, uh, getting a little bit older, and she, and she was looking for a husband. And in the workplace, at times, I would find her in the halls throughout the day, kind of talking to some of the, the, the young men. And the young single men in, in, in the office. And I would just kind of gently say, hey, you know, you just, I just want you to be aware that you have to be careful in the workplace. If you're being seen all the time throughout the day, not only are you going to be looked at as you're not being productive, but it's not going to kind of reflect very well if you're always talking to single guys. How many know what I'm talking about? So I'm communicating these things to her in love. And then we hired a, a new manager uh, he was in his 30s, a brilliant scholar guy, graduated from seminary in Europe, and he ended up becoming our manager of international academic studies, and he was going to begin to take on a lot of the stuff that I was doing. I was doing a lot of training international and going to seminaries and 
colleges and conferences, and he was going to begin to take on that part of my role. And so the two of them, they began to get very friendly. And I noticed that my supervisor, uh, her production was going way, way down. And there were many times where I couldn't find her when I needed her, and often because she was kind of spending a lot of time with his new manager. So I just kind of would, would extend a lot of grace and would just try to coach her in love and just say, hey, you know what, I, I, I just want you to know I really need you to be around. I'm, I'm noticing that you're, when I need you, you're not around, and I, I'm finding you over here, et cetera. And so I was just kind of gently coaching her. Well, shortly after this situation, I went on vacation. Two-week vacation, I'm being recharged and having a good time with my family. I think we went on a cruise. And the day before I was coming back from vacation, getting ready to go back to the office, I get a call from my boss, who's the vice president. Calls me up and he says, I have bad news. He says, your supervisor and your assistant just turned in their resignation letter. And what your supervisor had to say was pretty ugly. How many of that's not what you want to come back to after vacation? <laughs> and I'm in shock. I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm blown away. So I show up. She had written this letter. And if you would have tried to figure out how can I sabotage someone's career and say the worst possible things ever that you, you can ever imagine, I mean, stuff that was just, but blow your mind, she wrote this in a letter. The problem was, not only did she write a full page about me, but she also wrote another full page about the, the organization as a whole. So, of course, they recognized, and she lost all credibility. And, however, it was raising some questions. Why did my new assistant also, too, join her? And I hardly worked with my new assistant because I've been traveling. I only spent a couple days. So how many know that will raise some questions? So I come back to the workplace. My supervisor resigned and gave me this nasty letter and took my assistant with her. And at the time, I was being considered to being promoted to managing director, which was the next step for VP. And my boss, he says, don't worry about it. I, I got your back. And how many know I wanted to defend myself big time? I'm looking at the letter. I'm like, oh, this is all false. And wait a minute, I've been here for 12 years. I've got this track record of success. I wanted to defend myself, you know. When am I going to be able to talk to the president and all that? And he let me, he says, look it, I, look it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to humble yourself and see what you can learn from this situation. Even though I felt, wait a minute, I've got a great track record. All this stuff was false, she lost credibility. But help me know, it's still kind of a sense, kind of left a stain on my, my, my legacy there. Anyways, um, I get the computers from my supervisor and assistant, and I discovered hundreds of emails between her and this new manager, and they were kind of in cahoots and dating, and all kinds of stuff was being spoken about our department, et cetera. And, uh, he got exposed. He's weeping and crying. And how many know I, I had every right to be angry at this guy? You know, he's in cahoots and this and that. Yet I had a wonderful opportunity. I'm just going to love on him. I'm just going to bless him. 
And even he's, I, I'm going to coach him. I'm going to mentor him. All the things. So I had just, even though they tried to sabotage my career, my legacy there, and, and even though I was being considered for promotion, the next step in line for a vice president, which all of a sudden those talks started going away, even though I felt there was a stain left on my tenure there, I had a wonderful opportunity to just bless him, to love him. So I made a choice to just love him and humble myself. I know that's pretty difficult. So I made a decision to love on him, release forgiveness. Of course, it was uncovered that they were dating. They eventually got engaged, and I was just encouraging him, blessing him, congratulating him, uh, just coaching him, doing all these things. And that year, I hired a new supervisor, a new assistant, new coordinator. I had a fantastic team of interns. And that year, we had the best year that we ever had in the ministry. You know, I could have felt, oh, I'm vindicated, you know. And so towards the end of the year, we had launched several ministry academies across the U.S., one in Uganda. We had a tremendous year. It was the shining star. It was the future of the ministry. A lot of high praises. Towards the end of the year, Pastor Jared gave me a call, and he asked me if I would come on full-time at the church. Prayed about it. Felt like my assignment was up. So I turned in my letter of resignation, and they all, wait a minute. We don't want you to go, you know. And no way, why can you do this? Oh, my gosh, you know, we thought we were going to pass the torch to you. And so I felt that my assignment was up. They honored me. The Johnny Erickson Tata and the president, they threw a nice banquet for me, gave me all kinds of gifts, nice recognition awards. My department also threw a banquet for me, nice gifts, powerful recognition awards. It was awesome. I left with tremendous honor, you know. Shortly after that, I had shared on Facebook kind of the, the legacy I had with the ministry, and I was just really proud of how God had just honored. I really believed in my heart, you know, God, you're so good. Because a year prior, I thought I could have left with tremendous shame. But you are so good. Here you are a year later. You've given me a, a tremendous year. Now you're blessing me with awards and gifts. And I posted some things of what I've done. And then right after that, shortly after that, I received an email from the administrator of the North American Division of the Golden International uh, Rule, the Golden Rule International Award, which is an award associated with the UN a Global uh, Peace Building Initiative. So I received this email that I had been nominated to receive this award. And I'm kind of, where did this come from? I'm sitting there kind of blown away, and I'm Googling, and I see former presidents receiving the war, first ladies, and congressmen, and senators, and heads of tribal chiefs. And I'm like, there's no way. I'm not even in their, in their league, you know. But it was such an honor that I even got nominated. Well, after that, turns out I ended up receiving the award. And it was so awesome that God had honored me. And when you receive an award like that, it's such a high honor. There are other affiliate organizations that want to award you as well. So another year after that, I ended up getting from uh, Ambassador Rivers African Union the Global Leadership of the Year Award. And then he was connected and the chancellor of this international seminary, and he conferred on me a doctorate of philosophy and humanities. Isn't that awesome? Now I share that all this, not to say, oh, look at me, look at all these rewards. I share this to say this that I chose to just humble myself 
and love those that hurt me. And God wanted to bless me and honor me. But I'll tell you what, those awards are cool. And I count it as a great honor. And they're in my corner of my office. I don't know if they'll go on the wall someday. I don't know. But I'll tell you what meant a lot to me. When Johnny Erickson Tata, one of my spiritual heroes, a tremendous hero, she said, James, you know what your legacy is here? She says, you have been someone who has reflected passionately loving Jesus. She says, you reflect the love of Jesus. And her husband said, you exude Jesus. And here I am leaving, and Johnny has blessed me that. But you know what's greater than that? That, that so blessed me, my own wife. My own wife says, you know, honey, she says, you always see goodness in people. She says, when somebody hurts you or mistreats you or speaks Ill, Ill at you, you always find goodness. And speak. How many know that's the way God wants to live? And I share all this just to testify to what Jesus said because he said, you know what? Let me continue on in the verses. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Now notice there is absolutely no reward or great benefit that comes from loving those who love you or loving just loving those who love you and are good to you. But Jesus says, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High God because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Can I tell you the great reward that comes to us when we love our enemies? you will be recognized as a children of the Most High God. When you're somebody that is a person of mercy, see, Jesus says the way that you love me, the way that you demonstrate your love for me, the way that we love like Jesus, he calls us to be a people of mercy. And when we love our enemies, when we bless those, you know, our tendency, our inclination when somebody uh, speaks ill or curses us, how many, how many know we want to speak back and speak negative against them? But Jesus says, bless them, edify them, lift them up, pray for them. He says, even meet needs, their needs if they have needs. If you do all these things, your reward's going to be, you will be children of the most high God. I'm telling you, the great reward, just as my, I'm so, just my wife saying, honey, you have goodness. The great reward is you and I will be recognized. As a child of God, people will know that we carry the love of God and the presence of God. I probably want to be a carrier of God's presence of love. Can I get an amen this morning? God is good. He wants us to move in the opposite spirits of what comes against us. See people with the eyes of Jesus. You know, I've learned in ministry, and this is a, not just a principle if you're in ministry, it's for all of us as believers, you and I must understand and live out unconditional love and acceptance with people without any conditions or expecting a reciprocal return. How many are loving like Jesus? His love does not seek its own. The God kind of love does not seek its own. 
Second point about loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus is being a friend to sinners. Loving like Jesus is being a friend to sinners. And we know, we know the word of God says all of sin. How many know all of sin? How many of we all make mistakes? We all sin. Usually when scripture refers to this term sinner, it's really referring to somebody that has not yet received forgiveness of sin or received Christ of their Savior, been cleansed from their sin. So they called Jesus a friend of sinners. Look with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The gospel writer writes, the son of man has come eating and drinking. This is Jesus speaking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know, in that age, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were corrupt. They were robbed from their very own people. They were considered traitors and criminals. They were hated by their own people. Now, to help us understand the context of this powerful truth of being a friend to someone who does not know God or somebody who's struggling with sin, let me help you understand the original word in the Hebrew for the word friend that the scribes and Pharisees understood meant this. It meant somebody you keep company with or somebody to be gentle with, to be familiar with or a close companion. See, when they were calling Jesus, you are a friend of drunkards, of tax collectors, the worst of the worst. He was calling a friend. They understood this word friend meant he was a close companion. He was somebody that was familiar with them. He was somebody that would keep company with them. Look with me in Matthew 9. Now, with that context in mind, look with me to Matthew 9, verse 10 through 13. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? How many like that translation? It took some Bible scholars that were part of a translation committee to debate for months, and they came up with scum. (laughs) Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. But then he added, now go and learn this meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those, I have not called those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. And in Luke 15, verses 1 to 2, I also want to read this passage because there's a couple points I want to pull out of this as well. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing. Say drawing. They were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Eats with them. In many cultures, when you would dine with somebody, that was a sign of an intimate relationship. How many come from a background in your, uh, your heritage where having a meal with fam, that's a form of love. You know, you would have relationship. And so here, loving like Jesus and being a friend to somebody who doesn't know God or who's just struggling with sin, loving like Jesus is welcoming them, embracing them, unconditionally accepting with them, building relationship with them. That's God's heart. He wants us to reach out. He wants us to build relationships with those who are hurting and broken 
broken, those that are struggling with sin. Loving like Jesus is to reveal the unconditional love and acceptance of God by our actions. It's revealing our love for him by being a people of mercy, not a people of religious sacrifices. You know, the scribes and Pharisees in the word of God, they had all the rituals down. They knew all the laws, all the rules. They had all the religious garbs. They went to the temple. They did all the things that was right in their eyes according to the law or according to the religion of the day. Yet Jesus continually said this to them. Look at go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God wants us to be a people of mercy. You can do all the right things. You can do all the right acts and practices and do all the right things that, that in the natural. But how many know without love it counts for nothing? It says that in Corinthians. You could prophesy and reveal all knowledge. You could work miracles. You can move mountains. You can have all knowledge, all revelation. You can even give up your body to be burned for death. But without love, it counts for nothing. So loving like Jesus is reaching out to those who are hurting and broken. You know, my wife, Laura, she so exemplifies this. She... Uh, manages a restaurant and a, a fun center, and she has over 100 young adults that works under her, and many of these young adults are struggling with sexual promiscuity and same-sex relationships, and some of them are struggling with, with alcohol and, and drugs, and some of them have had abortions. Some of them have, are struggling in their marriage, and many of them have a lot of struggles, many of them who don't know God. Yet, because of my wife's unconditional love and care that she exudes, they look at her as a big mom, a spiritual sister. Even though they know that she loves Jesus and that she's married to a pastor, they are drawn to her. Just like sinners were drawn to Jesus, says they were drawn to him, you know, because she gives them unconditional love and acceptance. It doesn't matter where they're at. Loves on them. And, and you know what? When you and I love people who are struggling with sin or are broken, and when they feel in our hearts our unconditional love and acceptance, regardless of that, they're going to want to know the God you love. Are you with me this morning? They were drawn. You know who's another great example of this? My friend Robbie. Hey, Robbie, raise your hand. Robbie, uh, Robbie retired from law enforcement a couple years, I mean a couple years, <laughs> a couple months ago. And Robbie's like, hey, pastor, I got some time now. Like, you know, let me train you. Robbie lifts, I started working. Let me train you, pastor. Let me train you. He's a boxer, you know. Pastor, pastor, let me train you, you know. You know, Robbie's like, come on. He's a former boxer. And he said, you know, I want you to get yourself some thermals and get yourself some, some sweats and Get yourself a beanie, and we'll run some miles up on the hills at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I got a muscle tank top T-shirt, some shorts, and I want to go for a spin class at LA Fitness, you know. <laughs> Robbie wants to run the, run the mountains, you know. With the and uh, so we've been working out, been workout partners for about three months. And literally in the last three months, I think we've done maybe two sets together. 
two sets because his MO is he's always talking to people and engaging and creating opportunities. See, I'm working out. He's, he's connecting with people. He's reaching out, encouraging people, blessing them, former law enforcement officers, and creating opportunities to connect with them and just to bless them, encourage them. And whenever there's, there's open doors, he's, he's speaking truth. And so it's been three months, and we've only done two sets. And, and it's, it's still that way, you know. And we'll go out to like a Starbucks afterwards, and he'll engage in conversations. And some of these conversations that, that we'll have, and they're, they're cursing up a storm, and they're talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. And Robbie's not flinching. He's just blessing them and encouraging them and finding those little open cracks and doors to speak truth. And I'll never forget uh, after a workout, you know, I worked out. He was talking to people. And <laughs> we go to Dink's. To have some breakfast, and there were some gangsters from the hood in the parking lot. I mean, straight out, I mean, there were some gangsters. And they called to Robbie, and they say, hey, OG, OG, you got light? And so Robbie, <laughs> what's up? Yo, man, I don't smoke no cancer sticks. Look at me, man. I'm 62 years old, man. I'm 62 years old, you know. He's, and he's talking to these guys. Look at me. I'm 62 years old, and, you know. Look at man. You got to train hard. You got to keep your mind right. You got to keep your mind right, you know. Train hard. Love God. You can be like me. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you know, Robbie's got the swag, but when they call him OG, I mean, it took, it like, I mean, it, it went up a couple notches. And, yeah. You guys are like, boy, he's, he needs some swag lessons. It's too white boy action up here. But I love that. He's receiving people where they're at, you know, and looking for opportunities to reach out and love people, to bless them, regardless of what stuff they're in. How many know that stuff is just, it's just ways to try to fill those voids? You know, when you look at the eyes of Jesus, that's just stuff to try to fill the hurt and the voids. And until they find the thing that they're missing for, which is Jesus Christ, you're always going to be looking other ways. And that's all that stuff is. Sin is just trying to fill the voids, to be loved, to be accepted, to have a sense of self-worth. All these things, you know, counterfeit affections, lust of the flesh, and, you know, all these things, possessions, all these things, counterfeits. You know, and that's what that is. And so you and I need to reach out, you know. So Robbie is a, a wonderful life example in that way. You know, one key truth I want to bring out to this point is that Jesus' love and friendship with those who were sinners was, not con- it was unconditional. It was not based on whether or not they would receive him or perform religious sacrifices. Jesus Friendship had no strings attached. Say that with me. Jesus' friendship had no strings attached. So it is with you and I. Another truth I want to bring out was that Jesus was a friend of sinners but lived without sin. Even though they accused him. See, you and I, we don't have to compromise or partake in ungodly behavior to have relationships with those who don't live for Christ or who are struggling with sin. Can I say that again? Can I get an amen? 
We don't have to compromise or partake in ungodly behavior to have friendships, build relationships, have companionship with those who don't in Christ who are struggling with sin. You can be a light. You can love on them. My last point this morning, if I can have the worship team come on up. Loving like Jesus is going after those who are disconnected. Looking out for those who have left God's house or, or who are without a life-giving spiritual home or church family. Maybe those that are in within God's house that are hurting, wounded, or confused. Maybe those who have left are missing and they're Maybe they're in rebellion or caught up in some sort of sin or maybe those that are just hanging on, just hanging on. Maybe they're disillusioned with God. They're disillusioned with church. How many know a lot of people have been hurt by churches in the past? How many know somebody that is missing or disconnected? I think all of us. What a wonderful time of the year where you and I can put, make that phone call. Say, hey, hey, bro. I haven't seen you in a long time. How are you doing, man? I miss you. Can we go have lunch? You know, those that are making those crazy fake, uh, crazy Facebook posts because they're, they're hurting and they're struggling. and they're, You know, those are the ones that, you know what? Contact them. Send them, a, send them a response. You know, those are the ones. What a wonderful way. You know, I think, I think people are crying out for somebody just to love on them. So Jesus gives us a parable to illustrate this point. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 3 to 7. So he told him this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If you and I want to love like Jesus, he wants us to go out, go after those that are lost. Go after those who are disconnected. Go after those that are hurt and feeling disillusioned. And maybe they were part of the church family for a while and they got hurt. Maybe they were just struggling. They had some stuff that they couldn't overcome, so they left. Maybe they didn't feel that they fit in. Or There's all kinds of reasons why sometimes people will disconnect. Loving like Jesus is being intentional, looking out, going after those. Amen. How many know somebody that you can reach out to this week?